having a beer after a hard day's work once meant putting up with a six o'clock swill. The swill is not only unpleasant, it's also dangerous. Those who like beer, and surprisingly it's still legal to like it. South Australia joins all other states in abandoning the six o'clock swill. Welcome to the Six O'Clock Swill with Tim Blair and Nick Cater and our special guest from New York, Rob Long. This week, pump prices in the US overtake those in Australia. Who's to blame, Joe Biden or Vladimir Putin? Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison gears up for a khaki election. Bryce Mitchell, an Arkansas cattle farmer and mixed martial arts featherweight, nails the hypocrisy of America's elite towards Ukraine. And uh, Rob, you'll be explaining the return of mugger money in New York. Welcome to episode 25 of the Six O'Clock Swill, which is a milestone for us, a quarter of the way to our first, a quarter of the way to our first century. But it it must seem we must seem like complete newbies to you as a co-founder of the Ricochet Podcast, which has now clocked up 583 episodes, if I'm not mistaken. Tons, yeah, no. But look, you know, you always remember your 25th. Put it that way. (laughs) But I think I think that just what my advice to you for longevity is don't worry so much about quality. Uh-huh. Like if you just don't worry about quality, you get to 580. Nope, nope. Well, then you're on your way. That's never been a concern here, Rob. We we got over that. In the, yeah, we got over that in the first episode, and uh, we've never looked back. Yeah, then you're yeah. you're gonna have a long run. Yeah. I should give you a proper introduction, Rob, or Robert Long, as I see Wikipedia calls you, a, a writer and television producer, screenwriter and executive producer of the long-running television program Cheers, which I know Tim wants to talk to you about later on. You're contributing editor of the National Review, a writer for Quadrant, published here in Australia, as well as contributor to Time, Newsweek, International, The Wall Street Journal, The Los Angeles Times. Oh, I don't know. Is that a blot on your copybook? And co-founder of the Ricochet podcast. Welcome. Welcome, Rob. Happy to be here. For number 25. Look, there's much to talk about. We've got to go to Ukraine first and maybe just start a little bit sideways on this and uh, talk about gas prices, as you call them, or petrol prices here in the United yeah. States, which seems to be a big, a big issue. Let's just have a listen to what um, what Trump said about this a couple of years back. I know he's not your favourite man, but uh, he had some interesting things to say. We have more oil than anybody, OK? And it's uh, an incredible thing that have had. it's happened over the last few years, a lot of great things, and you're paying, what, $2 a gallon for your gasoline? That's okay. You know what that's like? That's like a tax cut. That's bigger than a tax cut. If Biden got in, you'd be paying $7, $8, $9. Didn't they say, get rid of your car? <laughs> Not quite seven, eight, nine yet, but what, Tim, you were looking at the figures. Oh, stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> By six o'clock, six o'clock swill episode 30, who knows? Yes, exactly. I did see a report out of California reporting that it was $5.50 over there a gallon. Um, that's US. Well, I think it's six in some places. Six. Um, in, in California. California doesn't really count. I mean, it does, but it's mm. always more expensive in California than it is anywhere else. Um, California has all sorts of regulations. I mean, each state, each region has its own kind of special formula for gas, its own little cocktail, uh, depending on uh, how powerful the environmental lobby is in the region. Um, so, and of course, California said it's most powerful so that the gas is like that much more um, pricey. Well, Rob, a lot of people all the time, they talk about if California was a country and they'll, they'll do economic <laughs> yeah. analyses based on that. Well, in terms of... Um, Vehicles, California's always been its own country. It has its own very specific automotive rules. You can buy, there are some cars on the market 
in the US that are illegal in California. You can't buy them new in California. It's a it's an odd little place. It's a it's an odd big place. Yeah. That's the uh, well, be, becoming but, uh, becoming yeah, little becoming that, little. That, that, yeah, that's right. Well, you know, look, that's the great American experiment, right? You're not you're, we're, we we are supposed to and you know those of us on the right are always forgetting this. We're supposed to be celebrating these differences and these quirks. These, that's what make keeps us strong, right? That keeps the keeps the tyrant out of Washington D.C. Is that there's all there's fifty other places where he's got to go hat in hand, um, and the people are um, encouraged to vote with their feet, which is some people are doing in California, and some people aren't. Some people are saying, well, you know, I I, I don't like paying six dollars for gas, but on the other hand, I really do like three hundred and Sixty days of sunshine a year, or whatever it is, or I like like the, everybody likes the, the great thing about California is it up it offers a choice. If you like night, warm weather and you don't want want socialism, you can go to Texas. Well, you've got you've got people who vote with their feet and go to Texas and uh, and other states, and then you've got people in San Francisco and uh, and Los Angeles who vote with their feces apparently, which is an attractive <laughs> element of those <laughs> yeah, cities. That's, right. that's true. Jeez. Look, uh, the uh, there was a there was a, a period I think where homeless people in L.A. I'm from I hear from my neighbors would uh, were making little fires uh, made out of gasoline they would make a little gasoline fire kind of a campfire was it the right sort yeah they would like throw it on each other there's like this they'd have the like, side of the freeways would be erupting into flames as these homeless camps go up they wouldn't be able to afford to do that now <laughs> yeah now that would be too too pricey yeah, that's right gotta go back to something i feel for you in december i uh, somebody gave me actually a 20 year old uh, jeep which is the first american-made car i've ever yeah. owned it's from built in i think it's toledo ohio it's a Lovely. It hums along beautifully, Rob. Three point six uh, solid liters, six 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 cylinder, normally aspirated yeah. engine. You you can't beat them, but boy, is it thirsty. It was it a, was it a Wrangler? Is it just a little one? It's or a little it one a called a Jeep Liberty. I love the name. Oh yeah, so and that's actually a recent. There used to be you could buy a Jeep Wrangler. Yeah, I mean that was one of the first cars I owned was a Jeep Wrangler, and if you went to the auto store, you know, because they always sell manuals for all the cars in the auto store. And they dates for, and they give you the dates for when the manual, you know, whenever your car is, whatever your date of your car. And the Jeep Wrangler manual said Jeep Wrangler, owner's manual, equipment manual, 1945, and then just a dash. In, by even in the year 2000, it was essentially the same car, like the same manual, which is so great. It was like driving around in the car that won the war. You know? I go on YouTube to watch how to fix it, and you'd be. <laughs> Always these really hairy guys, half man, <laughs> half bear, from somewhere yeah, else yeah, in yeah. sticks of America. But right. look, um, yeah, look, pre, pre, you, you've done the calculations, Tim. Petrol is cheaper in Australia than the well, States. Yes, uh, a bit of explanation is, is owed to Rob on this. Uh, in Australia, we have historically, in global standards, we have historically high fuel prices. And um, when the US, several months ago, began to experience uh, rising gas prices, um, a friend of mine in the U.S. Uh, called me and said, "It's getting so bad here; it's almost as expensive as Australia." And um, and now it's, uh, I was just looking at the prices last week. At one point, uh, early last week, California's average gas price was around about four dollars plus. It's obviously since gone up. Then it's going up uh, week by week. But that was obviously that includes a lot of inland areas where it's maybe a little cheaper. And that took it past. Took it past the um, the Sydney price. I think the Sydney price per litre was one dollar eighty six by average, uh, and the US or the sorry the Californian price was one dollar ninety six per litre. Once you take into account that US you know conversions from US gallons, conversions of currency, so yeah, you guys are ahead of us, and this is an historic anomaly. It doesn't it doesn't work like that usually. 
No, I mean, I, I'm looking it up. I, a friend of mine just from California just sent me this tweet, and I'm trying to find the photo. And he took a picture. This is, this is what people in California do now. They take pictures. And so this is in Coronado, California, which is uh, a little island, but it's very close. to. It's in San Diego, essentially. But So it's an island. So, of course, anytime you're you know, surrounded by water, it means all, everything's got to be trucked in. So it's a little bit more. But gasoline, regular gasoline, um, is $6.49 a gallon, almost $6.50 a gallon. And that's in San Diego, in a, in a in a little sort of glamorous, um, you know, chic island part of San Diego. So, that's you know that's that's a lot of money <laughs> for that, that's it, well over two dollars a liter for, for Australian uh, listeners. That's a, that's a yeah, colossal amount. And it's um, and remember, Cal- Americans in general, even Californians, have this hardwired, um, uh, hardwired association that a car is freedom. And so if you if you make me less free if you make gas more expensive you're making me less free and I can calculate the number by by my, my how you're draining my freedom away from me. We've been listening to the the what what sounds to me like a reasonably um, representative voice of Middle America because how would I know I haven't been to America for two years thanks to COVID. But um, let's have a listen to this guy Bryce Mitchell. I hadn't heard of him before this week. An Arkansas cattle farmer whose exploits in the Ultimate Fighting Championship have earned him the nickname. Thug nasty. Uh, he he uh, he loves his country. We're, I'm going to play this in two parts. This grab in two parts. First of all, uh, he loves the country, and then secondly, he fears it's been betrayed by the political elite. But let's listen to him. Uh, the bit that warms your heart. Here's my first thought: is I'm not going nowhere to fight none of these wars for these politicians. I'm staying at home, and when the war comes to Arkansas, I will dig my boots in the ground, and I will die for everything I love, and I will not retreat. If this country's invaded. And everybody's saying, well, we got to we got to evacuate. We got to leave. We got I will not. I will dig my boots in the Arkansas soil and I will fight for the people that I love, for the land that I love and the way of life that I love. But he is not too happy with the uh, the political elite. Have a listen to this. Well, I don't exactly know what their agenda is with the whole war on Russia, but I do know that all that money that's going to the Biden family through Hunter Biden, he doesn't have the merit for that position he's got over there. They've used our tax dollars to bribe him a job. You know, um, if me or you did what Nancy Pelosi did and got millions in stocks, we'd go to prison for insider trading. But she does it and, and she's filthy rich. So these their families are getting very greatly compensated while they're taxing us to death. Inflation's higher than ever. They close down all of our pipelines and wonder why the price of oil has gone through the roof. These people are trying to destroy our country because they are profiting off the downfall of our country. Rob, two two years ago, I probably would have thought he was, um, you know, um, you know, the sort of guy I'd be telling you that little green men had just arrived from Mars. But I mean, the point is, we've read Miranda Devine's book on Hunter Biden's laptop. We know what was in that laptop and what it says about uh, Hunter Biden's connections with Russia, Ukraine, China, and and uh, your current president's uh, knowledge and complicity in that relation in those relationships would involve transfers of money. Um, come on, come come to your president's defence now. Why should he not be impeached immediately and removed from office? <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> I think we've had enough impeachments for a while, I hope. Um, uh, look, this all seems very strange to me. But it, By the way, I stay tuned. This guy may talk about Little Green Men soon. That's always the problem with those fellows is that you, in mid-applause, you look like, uh, I don't know if you saw the picture of Chuck Schumer and the State of the Union sort of standing up halfway and beginning his applause too soon. That does happen with these guys a lot. Um, you know, Look, 
whether Ukraine is corrupt or not, or has been corrupted or is corruptible, is sort of not mm. really an argument. You can't really argue that it's that it's not. It certainly is a place where they've been buying in American politicians. So is Russia. Um, and, you know, with all the sort of weird and fo- obfuscation of the Russian nonsense with, with Trump, and I, and, as a, and I was not a fan, as you pointed out, of, of, of the former president at all. I think he was one of the worst ones we had. He's completely unfit to be president, and I hope that he doesn't run again. On the other hand, I don't think he did the things that people said he did. But on the other other hand, because I have three hands, um, he was, he is, the, the, he's, a, he's a real estate guy with, like, a lot of... Uh, of of deals in, in, in Russia and in Moscow, and certainly the deal he had in Azerbaijan, which is not the same thing, was completely corrupt. And so is and Hunter Biden's terrible. It is possible for all of these people to be crooks and beneath the dignity of the office of the white of the president of the United States. The, the weird conversation we have now in the United States is this strange childish need that one person has to have the white hat and one person has to have the black hat. And the truth is that they're all terrible. And that, that, that Joe Biden is a corrupt politician from way back. Uh, and his son, in, in a, in, by the way, in a grand, grand tradition of children of presidents being essentially a crook uh, and, a, and a bad one at that, um, th- all that's true. But that doesn't mean the other guy isn't. And so that's the, why I find this so strange about, um, about this. No one is saying that we should send American troops to Ukraine. Quite, quite the opposite. Joe Biden is actively talking about how we're not going to do that. And half the people on the other side are saying, well, you, should, you gave the game away. You've, you know, he's, 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 he's not tough enough. And then it's like, well, he's too tough. So we've entered this sort of like crazy time, what I call crazy town in American politics, where people simply, they check first to decide, decide who on Twitter they're mad at. And then they quickly rearrange the deck of their political and social and policy beliefs to sort of arrange that. And then if that deck changes mm-hmm. tomorrow, they reshuffle it, um, which is which is why this is why this, this 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 invasion of Ukraine is so interesting, because you had all these sort of commentators on on Fox News talking about how Putin's our friend. What are we what are we what are we so mad at Putin? And then he sort of bombs a few maternity hospitals and suddenly it's like, <laughs> well, I, you, I, you didn't let me finish. I don't think he's a friend of ours. I, and that. This is because we, you know, we live in an, in a world of entertainment, or, or we live in this strange, extremely emotional world, where people's feelings are very important. And um, I am a, I am not a closet Freudian. I'm an out of the closet Freudian. And I'm telling you that when I hear people talk, when I hear people on the right talk about the snowflakes mm-hmm. on the left, I know it's projection. They're the biggest snowflakes there are. That, that was an incredibly rambling rant there. But. Interesting thesis, Mister Long. <laughs> I, I, I'd argue though that. Although there is a universality of incompetence and evil uh, across the political spectrum, because the word political is in there, (laughs) that um, in terms of outcomes, we had the unusual circumstance of the least politically experienced president of all time, Trump, who actually delivered outcomes that weren't bad. We were talking before about $2 gas and um, uh, energy independence and so on. And then you had the most experienced in terms of politics, president of all time, Biden, who has literally nothing to point at that's been a success in more than 12 months. Literally nothing. I'll give him one thing, uh, and, and much to his credit, but I, I, I guess this was a decision made elsewhere in the administration, but it was the signing of the AUKUS agreement, the three-way AUKUS agreement between Australia, the United Kingdom and the US. I, I doubt if this mm. got a lot of publicity over there, Rob, except that I think you know we upset the French somewhere along the line because we decided... Which is really hard to do, by the way, Rob. <laughs> yeah, they're very so they're so they're chill. They're just known as chill. 
But from our, from our point of view here, right, on this little outpost on the other side of the Pacific, it, it's a damn reassuring thing to know the Americans are prepared to share, uh, you know, in extra military intelligence and most right. importantly, nuclear submarine technology, which we desperately need. So I think if he's done nothing else, indeed, if our current prime minister here, Scott Morrison, does nothing else, uh, that is something to be remembered, certainly from where we sit. I don't know. I think that a lot of these, for a lot of these presidents or presidencies, you end up with like one or two things that you think were a, a, a bright spot among a, you know, a pile of shit. Um, and I certainly agree with. I mean, look, the reason we had two dollar gas before is because we were. I'm, it is these are more complicated things than, yeah. than just a president. A president doesn't really set, but he, the mm. the the price of oil, is determined by the av- availability of oil today. The availability of oil, like in a, you know three weeks or four weeks, and guess has got to come in a bar, on a barge, and the sort of the theoretical availability of it later. And the theoretical availability of it later really matters. And um, unfortunately, if you're looking at the oil. If you're in the oil business, you're looking at the oil supply. You have to you ha- you have to conclude that it, later it's going to be hard because the Americans have decided that they are. And I think Trump was right in that quote, in that little um, you know snippet you, you played. Uh, we've decided we don't we don't want our own oil. We want to buy it from bad people around the globe. And it turns out that if you if, if you have oil, you're probably a brat bastard. There aren't many like nice people with oil reserves. Maybe the Nor, you know, the Norwegians, maybe and the Canadians. But the, you know, there's a huge amount of oil that, that's kind of controlled by rat bastards. And um, yep. the the solution is uh, to sort of get your own oil. Because and I, I'm uh, I'm astonished as I as I uh, as I can be that Americans seem to need to learn this lesson every 20 years. You know, like in 2001, we sort of woke up. And thought, well, why do they hate us so much? Well, we, there's 75,000 U.S. Marines in Saudi Arabia, and we can't get rid of them because we need to protect these lands from a potential threat from Iraq or Iran or wherever, um, because we need their oil. Well, the solution isn't to invade Iraq. The solution is to get your own oil. Having praised him for AUKUS, of course, uh, President Biden, he did blot his copybook a bit on the day. I don't. You remember this one, Tim? I'm sure. Um, Making the announcement this morning, President Joe Biden made an embarrassing <laughs> blunder, seeming to forget Scott Morrison's name. And I want to thank uh, that fellow down under. Wow. Thank you very much, pal. Appreciate it, Mr. Prime Minister. That fellow that down fellow under. fellow down under. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think um, uh, embarrassing blunder by the pet president is now, I think it's control B on my keyboard. Oh, just... yeah, that's right. I, I don't even think it's, um, I think embarrassing is the problem. That there's, There seems to be no embarrassment. Um, there seems to be only, um, well, it's sort of like COVID, right? We're not allowed to say what we know is true, which is that, holy moly, is he really all there all the time? Mm. And uh, and then uh, then at a certain point we'll turn a corner and it'll be sort of like well we always knew the New York Times we always knew he was had he had uh, early onset dementia like well really really mm. because on Tuesday you <laughs> you were printing the opposite um, <laughs> and then something you know I look I, I there's the these old guys I'm 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 you know, I'm going to go way out here I'll probably get sued these old men the last two old men who were president of the United States are were too old for the job. And you could tell when they were medicated and when they weren't. But you could tell when there was a little, little Adderall in the mix there. Um, and and they kind of lose track of stuff and they start talking weirdly and they kind of like suddenly there's, you, know, you don't even know where one sentence ends and another begins. And that's what you do when you're old and you're tired. Um, and in, in Trump's case, when you're fat, 
and you just don't have the energy and you need it. You need to turn it on at 9, 9 p.m. That's when the State of the Union is in, on the East Coast. 9 p.m. They kept that old man up to 9 o'clock. And they said, okay, 9 o'clock. Now you have to give it the most important speech of your presidency thus far. I mean, I'm like, come on. I'm sure there was like 20 milligrams of Adderall rattling through that little bag of bones that just like kind of was, you know, he was like running over himself and stuff. That's what that is. You know, it's not. It was actually, it was interesting to watch the speech. Well, I, I watched it live. And um, because his decline throughout the speech is the Adderall or whatever, yeah. benzodrines, you know, whatever the hell he was <laughs> uh, jazzed up on at the start. As they began to lose their effectiveness over the course of the couple of hours, um, you didn't notice it while you're watching it live because it was so incremental. But if you jumped, if you recorded it and jumped from say five minutes in to fifty-five minutes in, the speech patterns were very different. Pacing was right. very different. You know, uh, suddenly Iranians lived in uh, Europe. It right. was uh, was getting right. all a bit hard to follow. You know, that was hard to follow for us. So God knows what it was like for him in in uh, his uh, 4D crazy land that he's, he's, he's standing there and every so often realising, isn't that Nancy behind me? What are these screens? Yeah, you know, right. Chuck Schumer is applauding for nothing. And uh, it was Mom? it was uh, distressing Grandma, to see it Grandma, run to the light. Yeah, exactly right, right. <laughs> well, but, uh, but I, I'd say this, though. Like, the thing about Biden is people forget that um, that slowing him down wasn't a bad thing. You know, the, 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 when he was running... That the the masks and the and the slowing him down, all of that worked because when when Biden gets going in his in his heyday when he got going, he would say stuff that would just like oh, shocking. Yeah. Um, and that they he, there were no basically no gaffes. There were no that that fella down under statements mm. for the mostly the entire general campaign, and that was because he was they they literally had a muzzle on. They they had a, he had a yeah. mask on. That really there was helped. Surprisingly little, there was surprisingly little racism, which is a Biden, you know, <laughs> yeah, standby right, going back right, decades. Yeah. You know, uh, like I think it was only fairly early in the campaign when he announced that um, you know if you didn't vote for him, you ain't black. So uh, you know that, right. that by his standards, historically, that's incredibly mild. You know, he didn't put on a KKK hood. Uh, you know, there were no uh, you know celebrations of Robert Byrd. <laughs> you know, credit to the man. Come on, exactly. Look, you, you, you elect dopes, we elect dopes, we know what it's like. But the the good thing about your system and ours is the country still functions, right. even with a dope. Right. And and that's that's the reassuring thing. And, and you know, you mentioned in passing the fact that, uh, that the American intelligence services flagged in advance, uh, you know, Putin was building up strength to, to invade Ukraine. But, you know, I listened to... Uh, Stephen Cockin the other day, who said that that's, that's actually proof of America's strength. You know, the intelligence services had spotted what Biden was going to do and flagged it so that in order to, to, to spook him. And uh, things still work, right? And we still learn by our mistakes. No, I think it's true. I also sort feel like the, the, the people that tend to go berserk, the people that sort of went mad and, you know, tore their hair out uh, for the four year, Trump four years, we're sort of exactly the people that you you're not really you don't really mind if they're going insane. They're like they're they were always kind of high strung, you know. The New York Times, the places places like that, um, and that that always dro- drove me crazy because uh, I would read <laughs> read these things these crazy people would say um, about Trump or just about Republicans or about conservatives in general, and I would just think to myself, my God, they're desp- they're 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 not going to be happy until I'm wearing a MAGA hat. The goal of the Democratic Party in America was to get me to wear the MAGA hat. 
And I thought, well, you know what? Maybe I'll have to wear the MAGA hat because you're just too mad. You're just too insane. And I, but then you sort of realize that all those things happen way out there in the in the media bubble or Twitter or like in the new. And nobody really cares about any of these things. People just sort of go about it. But it's, it's always been the case, though, Rob, with um, Republican presidents. Uh, you'll recall the horror that greeted George W. Bush's election in 2000, 2001, when um, I think at one, one point, in, in one of the most incredibly ill-considered decisions uh, in media history, the Washington Post, in an effort to find out who had voted for George W. Bush... <laughs> no one could have. Who were these people? They sent a, a bunch of reporters on an exploration of the American interior to this strange <laughs> land that they'd right. never actually checked out. And and I think there was a few opening paths of explanation where they were talking about, um, you know, we're going to try and find uh, you know uh, people who who are in this conservative monoculture who just reflexively voted for Bush because he had the letter R after his name, and, and they were talking about as though as though the middle of America votes as a block, and it doesn't. You know, at, at most it'll be sixty forty in some states. Yeah, at most, right. there, there is a you know, or was rather. a a sizable Democrat presence always throughout uh, even uh, red states. And while I was saying this, I mean, you look at Washington, D.C.'s voting history, I don't think it's gone below 90% Democrat for decades. And they're talking about a monoculture in middle America? Really? Yeah, right. How unaware do places like the Washington Post and New York Times have to be, and the L.A. Times as well? The, The coastal papers seem to have no damn clue about really, the majority of Americans in most cases. Is, how jarring is that for No, you? it's especially jarring because it's, you don't have to go that far. Like, you don't have to go... If you really want to meet... If you want to meet... A, well, if New York City, if you want to meet a... a you want to walk in a neighborhood where they all voted for Trump, you simply have to get on the Staten Island Ferry. It's a borough of Manhattan. A borough of New York City. It's Staten Island. If you... Los Angeles, you just have to go on the other side of downtown or go up to mm. La Cañada or even to the Valley... And you'll find that's not the far the South Bay. The South Bay is, re- is really reliably Republican. I mean, they, mm. they, these people exist. They just don't actually exist in the tiny little zip code that is your newsroom. And that is that's one of the biggest problems, I think, for the news. One, one of the reasons why nobody pays any attention to them. It's like, well, you're you're screaming and shouting about stuff that I just don't I don't really believe is real. I don't. I mean, mm. I always say this to my friends who are on the left when they talk about like, well, you know, the biggest the big one of the big issues: voter suppression. In this country, voter suppression or something like that. Um, well, you know, we've had massive, massive voter participation in the past 25 years. Yeah. The, yeah. There, there are more black people voting now than ever before. There are more white people voting than ever before. If you could get in a time machine and go back 25 years or 30 years ago and say to somebody, hey, by the way, you know, remember when every article you were writing about was about how the voter participation was going to dip below 40 percent? Well, guess what? Mm. In 2020, yeah. it goes to 65 percent, almost 70 percent in some places. Yeah. They would say, well, my God, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. <laughs> like whatever, whatever our rules are for voting keep doing we shouldn't touch it it's working it's not broken and yet there's this Mm. sort of and when you mention this to anybody they kind of look at you like well how dare you explain the way (laughs) this these incontrovertible facts the story is there's voter suppression and you're like well then then shouldn't it be suppressed then we have the numbers the numbers don't add up and well of course like depending on who you're asking you could the response to the question you know what are you doing to make voting so high um you know from some quarters (laughs) The answer might be voter fraud. It's terrific. It just really pays off in terms of the stats. 
<laughs> well, I mean, as I'm a conservative, so I think that, that uh, I think too many people are voting. I think they're dumb, mm. and they should be stay mm. at home and let me vote and have my vote count to, for theirs because I think I'd vote better. But unfortunately, I live in this ridiculous, ridiculous republic where everybody's got to vote, and all you have to do is get off your ass uh, on that day or, you know, fill in a form and send it in, and you're fine. And uh, unfortunately, the people are speaking. I wish they would just speaking shut up. Speaking of fines, we actually get fined in Australia if we don't vote. <laughs> We've got the opposite of, of voting suppression. We've got voting compulsion, which I yeah. think is uh, worse, far um, worse. I've just I've just had a fine for not voting in the North Sydney Council elections. You know, I mean, this is <laughs> well, now what's the fine? I oh, it's about I don't know, hundred bucks or something. Holy Tip, moly! I don't know. It's, See, I feel it's like not kill you, you can't but... want it more than the people do. If the people don't want to vote, I don't want them voting. Let them stay home and keep their ignorance to <laughs> themselves. I mean, if it's if it's too complicated, then don't do it. I'm, I'm, there's no benefit to having everyone vote. Although I just note in passing, everyone's voting, so there's no. There, I'm sure there are plenty of other problems. I'm not saying there aren't any problems, but this one yeah. ain't it. Mm. And we have, especially in this country, this obsession with solving problems and getting freaked out over crises that don't exist and aren't real. But Speaking of which, breaking yeah. news. The federal officials are extending the requirement for masks on planes <laughs> and public God. transportation for one month yeah. uh, through to mid-April. You, you fly a bit, Rob, so do I. And, of course, you know, this will mean that we won't be able to remove masks in Australia either. How can we when the Americans have still put them in place? But, look, I, my theory is this should never be, never be removed ever. And, and my proof for that or my example for that is um, just after 9-11, the Australian authorities decided to post a security guard on the walkway on the Sydney Harbour Bridge uh, just in case uh, there was an incoming 737 heading for the Steel Arch. Uh, now, that guy's still there, right? He, he walks up and... Oh, yeah. Maybe it's more than one, but they walk, he walks up and down 24 hours a day, the poor hapless soul, looking absolutely bored, absolutely rigid. And yet... You know, the chances of him stopping an incoming 737 seems about uh, yeah. as great as the chances of one of those masks and stop COVID on a plane, <laughs> if you care yeah. about COVID. in terms of velocity and... Yeah, right, right. I'm not, a, I'm not a huge fan of the mixed martial arts, but um, I, I think it would probably be the cable TV deal of a lifetime for about between Thug Nasty and Dr. Fauci. I would pay money to see that. Well, yeah, like I know it would be a brief bout, but it would still be very entertaining for the nanosecond was underway. Well, can I offer an alternative, not an alternative viewpoint, but an additional viewpoint? Mm -hmm. Um, What if everything is actually awesome? What if, uh, and I'm going to draw a very tortured uh, analogy or association, what if Putin Mm -hmm. sitting in his throne, on his uh, socially distanced throne, says, you know what, we're going to invade Ukraine. It's going to be easy. We're going to do it. And he does it, and it doesn't really work. It's, it ends up being what it is now, which is a horrible quagmire. A lot of people dying. It's a horrible place. But let's. But the, the, the biggest surprise is it didn't work. That actually mm. the, r- r- the Russian uh, army is just lousy, and they're ill-equipped, and they didn't want to be there, and you can't, yep. you can't lead people to do this if they don't want to, and you lied to them, and you just don't. It, it, basically, you screwed up. What if, that my analogy is, what if the entire bureaucratic sort of apparatus in the United States, which is designed to keep you with your mask on, and everyone is just saying, you know what, F you, we're not doing it. And we're not going to, and maybe I'll have to do it in an airplane. Yeah. But I'll tell you, I think that the airplanes will individually lift the mandates before the month mm. is up. 
all of this is happening in New York City. It is as if people have forgot. Somebody said to me the other day that like they found some weird object under two uh, uh, books and they didn't know what it was. And they realized, oh, oh, that's a mask. I that was the I. That's what that is. Um, what if you just don't? Hmm. I mean, now in New York, pretty much, you do this thing where you're like you, you look at each other and you're walking to a shop or something, and they're not wearing a mask inside, and you're not wearing a mask, and you kind of do this strange dance, like, do I put it on? Do you? And then hmm. if you put yours on, they they quickly put theirs on, and then you come and say, I, I put mine on because you put yours on, and they go, oh, I put yeah. mine on because you were coming in. And they well, just why don't you just take it off? We're fine. And I think people hmm. are actually making their own interesting. Um, uh, negotiations and they're uh, coming to their own resolutions and the, the, the what's surprising is how little effect the CDC Center for Disease Control here is going to have and um, and that it's is It's helping my alcohol yeah. problem It's helped my alcohol problem a good deal I mean I don't know what helping you know, your alcohol I, problem means to you I can tell you what it means to me I, <laughs> it's, incre- it's increased his consumption massively oh. I'd spend a day in Melbourne get on a plane you'd you get a beer at the first opportunity and, and have it down the hatch in 20 seconds. But now I'll sit on it for the entire oh, yeah. hour <laughs> right. and 35 minute flight so that I don't have to put my mask back right. on. So. I see. I see what you might help. Usually when I think my helping my alcohol problem means me, it's easier for me to get alcohol. Um, but <laughs> I'm slightly different again. So Russians have amazingly um, come up against what I guess it's called Rasputisa. You heard that? Yeah, yeah, right. It's it's time without roads. It refers to the heavy rain in autumn and the melting snow and ice in spring. Oh, the yeah. mud season, yes. Both of which turned roads into muddy bugs. Such conditions famously hindered Napoleon's invasion of Russia in 1812, and they also played havoc with the Nazi Germans, Germany's offensive towards Moscow in 1941. And now Putin's got calling this it's a sort of rookie's error isn't it for for a, uh, an invading army oh, it, 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 it. but of course what happens next does he get start getting fried you know frustrated yeah. and start bombing more hospitals probably this so i mean worry, I, you know there's there's no happy ending here but it is on the way these good lessons which is like the lessons like you know it's not all going to work it probably doesn't going to work that's the one thing people especially on the left never encounter they never really think to themselves okay this little scheme that I have to like do this or that, or to everyone's going to recycle, or we're going to make the earth safe, is, is not going to work. It, these things don't work. Your your army doesn't really work. It's just it doesn't really. It's not going to go the way you want it to go because you're trying to occupy a country. I remember even during the Cold War, uh, most of the sort of the you know American scientists or American not shouldn't say scientists, American nuclear engineers, nuclear strategists would say, look, these things aren't going to work. Like, the reason we have to have 77,000 warheads on each missile is because 76,999 are simply not going to work. And the Russians have an even worse, <laughs> could have an even worse case. So at the best, they'll take mm. out a couple cities apiece. But, but that was really, that was kind of what people operated on, the idea that, eh, this stuff doesn't really work. These are, you know, these are governments building very, very, very complicated things. So um, I suspect that, you know, is there's, that something, a- is there something glorious and fantastic about... That the idea that we believe that you, we, you should be able to talk on a video call from your watch, right? And you, you, we should be able to, I ordered something from Amazon today at 9 a.m. Where the hell is it? It's 6 o'clock now, and it should have been 
sent from Columbus, Ohio to my doorstep in three hours, and it's not. We all acted like these mm. the miracles are supposed to happen all the time. And then this yeah. gigantic army gets stuck in the mud. And that's just got to be <laughs> like, if you're not religious before, you should be religious now, because that there can only be a god. I think I think Rob, it would be good if a lot of other countries had annual mud seasons. <laughs> yeah. We've got one here. Right, right. Well, they have one in California too, by the way. But but we don't have an annual mud season, which is the deal with the Ukraine. But imagine that in New York, you'd be like, oh, "Darling, how's your mud season? Oh, we've gone to the Hamptons." <laughs> yes, right. You know, like like. Well, <laughs> right. yeah. there there might be mud season festivals where yeah. you just eat a lot of chocolate well, the, or something. Two little very fancy people say, oh, "So so, where do you mud?" <laughs> 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 yeah, Speaking like of, like Denver. Sorry, yeah. uh, what's uh, what's that fancy ski place in Colorado? Aspen. Uh, yeah, Aspen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We usually mud in Aspen. Mud chalets. We have a mud home in Aspen. Mm-hmm. Oh, we had such a great time at Prey Mud. <laughs> we, we've had we've had we've had the wettest. We must we must be well into mud season here. We've had the wettest start to the year in Sydney ever. Absolutely. 921 millimetres of rain since January. That's 100 millimetres above above the last previous. You've only had 883, I note, on the Central Coast, Tim, so don't you start complaining. I t- Look, the other day, and this is no word of what a lie. What is this millimetre business? It's, uh, it's uh, an ancient uh, Roman scale that we use here for novelty purposes. To I was going to say. Like... Confuse foreign types. But we've had so much <laughs> rain up here that there's a Russian tank in the park behind my house. And, wow, uh, that's right. Oh, yeah, that's how wet it is. Got, got lost well, on the way to the mud season. Yeah. 921 <laughs> millimetres is close to three feet in old money, Rob. So that's a, a lot of rain. Well, that's a real number. Now I know what three feet is. This is yeah. I'm not kidding. We do on the fifth floor here in Kirribilli. Which is now the second floor, I think. <laughs> the other day, my wife suddenly screamed. I said, what's the matter? She had a leech clinging to her. <laughs> true. Is that true? In the apartment. It's a true story. She kept it under a jar for a week because she didn't want to kill it. Just, but honestly, wow. a leech on the fifth floor of an apartment. This is just. Just need to find a medieval barber to. Um, exactly. Sell yeah, it she's, to. Uh, she can um, do some bloodletting. Yeah, but, exactly. uh, God, the last time I saw a leech in reality, like was uh, in a in a in a dam somewhere. You know, I've taken a dip because we been harvesting wheat and you get wheat and chaff and everything in your hair and, and the solution is just to dive into a dam and uh, then you come out covered in leeches it's a charming experience doesn't seem like a good exchange by the way <laughs> they like <laughs> yeah. the high-rise lifestyle rob but was that a f- police siren we heard just a minute ago well i'm sure it was i mean it's, i'm in new york city so i'm sure it was a police siren which is beautiful that sets up a chat about <laughs> your column in this week's quadrant where you talk about the return of mugger money <laughs> tell us about well, it. Well, so mugger money, uh, my old you know, native New Yorker friends always tell me um, the mugger money was the money that you carried around, like usually in a paperclip or some other kind of uh, you know, fake device, so that when you were mugged, you would give that money to the mugger and not hand over your wallet with your real money. And most muggers were satisfied with mugger money. Sometimes you'd, you'd pull it out with a shaky hand as all theater. Like, I'm so terrified. I, only only person this terif- a person this terrified could only be giving you all of his money. And then you threw it. And then you ran in the other direction. And the mugger when cho- cho- had to choose between chasing you or getting the money. They always got the money. So mugger money was sort of like a tax, right? You just carried your tax around. Um, and in New York City, if you were a small business owner, your mugger money was your protection money, the way you, you could pay the mafia, I guess, in the early 20th century. Um, 
And then, and then nobody, but, but all my old friends are like, no, yo, young people know what mugger money is anymore. They always say it's slightly disappointed because New York Kids City's gotten days. so safe. It's basically so safe. You know, you walk through Central, you could take your children to Times Square, whereas not that long ago, you, you took them to Times Square, they'd get bought and sold for, you know, whatever. Um, and it is true, New York City's safe. You saunter around. I mean, I remember when I was in a freshman in college in 1983, I went to visit a friend of mine. Who, she had dropped out of Sarah Lawrence because she was an artist and she was a punk. And she had a, an apartment in, uh, on Ninth Street, right on Tompkins Square Park, which was like filled with, like, I mean, not homeless people, but drug addicts, actual drug addicts buying and selling drugs, crack and cocaine and, and uh, heroin. They're doing it in this doorway. And uh, I thought it was incredibly glamorous and never seen anything so fascinating as like five people shooting up heroin. Um, now, <laughs> if you go to Tompkins Square Park, it's, you know, children are playing, you know, there's a skateboard, mm. kids play skateboard. There's a little ping pong league in Tompkins Square Park. You can go play, join a league and play ping pong. And, um, and, and, uh, and there's, I guess, two Starbucks. There's a Chipotle there. Like, it's the most uh, pastoral in-town park you can imagine. Same thing with Bryant. Bryant Square is exact. Bryant Park is the same behind the public library on Fifth Avenue. Um, the whole city had went through you know, the, the high water mark, low water mark. Depending, you look at it, and murders was 1990. That was the when the murder rate yeah. was the highest. And since then, since you know the the um, the good offices of Rudy Giuliani before he went insane and Mike Bloomberg, um, they managed to bring the crime rate not just down but down below. I think the yeah. certain cities in the in socialist Europe. Right, it's like incredibly safe, uh, and now it's ticked up in a in a in a noticeable way. Yeah, uh, and um, and you'd think this is my my general theory that everything is awesome and fantastic. You'd think that we would just shrug and say, "Well, you know, this is the way cities are." Um, you know, boiling the frog, that kind of nonsense, right? You know, like start slow. Before you know it, you were we're back to the bad old days but instead there's a general feeling among everyone in new york city that we have to have more cops and crack down and get those homeless people out of the subway and uh, they, they, they shut down uh fifth avenue and the queens and the i'm sorry the uh, williamsburg bridge for uh, two cop funerals which we haven't had in new york the, which is a, by the way yeah. gigantic drama i mean look yeah. i'm i'm being I'm being a little flip here, but it was very, there's a tragic loss of these two police officers. Um, but the cop funeral in 1990, 1992 would be, a, would have been like, oh yeah, there's a cop funeral. Yep. To, this last two weeks, last month, they shut down the city and people just kind of like thought we got to do something. And um, it is kind of remarkable that people remember, people don't think of the past as the way things, as the meat, as the mean, they think of the good times as the standard. Um, but when you've had a 30-year gap between the horrors of 1990, I mean, you had a Zodiac killer going around back then, um, and this long period of, of incredible peace and harmony and, and, and fatality and murder rates, homicide rates, for right. going through the floor, thank God. So I guess it's a, it's a reality jolt for a lot of people. I mean, I know that uh, the, you know, people were talking about the crime rates at historic levels. Well, it's nowhere near 1990 levels. No, I, no, I, no. I don't, think, I don't think it can come back to that. It is so bad, however, that, you know, even, even you know, we all know people who've left New York. Um, uh, it's, uh, I, I, in my own family, people have come back from New York. They've lived there for, for decades and they're coming back to Australia because they're getting beat up on the subways. So, <laughs> wow. 
what, all what these things are to, relative. Yeah. yeah. What we seem to discover back then, uh, and New York showed the way, is you've just got to have a show of force on the streets. You've got to have right. police on the streets. Right. Right. That works, right? Yeah. Uh, that the works broken window theory in, yeah. in a city. Yeah. 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 But but we seem to have forgotten that lesson completely when it comes to international affairs. We suddenly thought we didn't need to look tough. I think they're exactly uh, you know, the same. Like, but what's interesting about the about the the uh, the, the, the the incredibly quick a flip. I mean, two years was it? Twenty twenty two. Two years ago, the c- cities were aflame, and the cause was defund the police. Yeah. Defund the police. T- two weeks ago, whatever it was, to last Tuesday. Uh, Joe Biden, the liberal Democrat president of the United States, said, no, no, fund the police, fund them, fund them. The idea that you could that it could turn that quickly is a good sign. It's a sign that people are rejecting nonsense faster than they used to. Um, They they, they, uh, they, they, uh, somebody pointed out, I think um, one of the arguments for defunding the police was that, well, you know, the police are these cops are doing a million different things. And, you know, we send them to these domestic disturbances and wh- we should be sending sh- uh, therapists there, not police officers. Mm. Well, that's what those two policemen were responding to was a domestic disturbance. And the door opened and the yeah. guy just started firing at them point blank. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I guess the the family therapist would be dead, too. I mean, there's, there's no particular reason why they, they shouldn't have been armed police officers going to that house. And I think most Ameri- most New Yorkers anywhere are like, yeah, yeah, I want to see more cops. Where are the cops? I want to see more cops. Um, so what did Americans what did Americans do? What did New Yorkers do back in those days when it was too scary to go out at night? They stayed at home and they watched a brilliant comedy <laughs> series yes, called Cheers. Right. Like, wait, wait a minute. Segway. James Lilacs would be pleased with that segue. You're that's exactly right. That's a good segue. But also, so I'm, I'm starting to think that maybe we need a little more, a little more street crime, <laughs> a little less uh, going out and having fun, a little more staying in, bunkering. Tim, you know? you're a huge fan. You're a super fan. Of yes, I love the show. Um, what I especially loved about it is it, 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 it Cheers was one of the early uh, sitcoms that established that the, the premise really doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, Cheers was a bunch of people in the same bar every night. You know, it's not exactly a thrilling concept, <laughs> but neither was Seinfeld conceptually. Right. You know, same friends doing same stuff every day. I mean, for the love of God, Taxi was just in a, a dispatch right. shop. And that was a terrific show. It's it's about the writing, it's about the craft, it's about the characters, and and perhaps if you've got a more straightforward or even mundane platform, it actually allows you to develop just a theory. It allows you to develop storylines more because Cheers didn't just have episodic storylines; it had a, a multi-year arc. Yeah, right. With various characters interacting, so it must have been. Such a delight when you joined, I think, in 89 or 90 right, as a right. writer. Yeah. You, a lot of that was already established and you knew where these characters were. You knew Clavin and uh, um, uh, Rebecca and all these various characters. So was it hard to, hard or easy to sort of fall into the, the rhythms that had already been established or did you go in different ways? Well, it was hard in the sense that it was so, I mean, it was so, so legendary that you sort of were walking in there thinking, oh my God, I mean, I have to live up to this. Um hmm. But it was easy in the sense that I think the key, I think you had the, the, you have the key there. With it was that everybody knew who these characters were, and because not really because of, uh, they had traits, they had you know, characteristics, but they also had yeah. wants. Like every character had a just a deep want, an intention, a life intention. And um, when you have a light, when you have characters who have intentions and life intentions and deep wants, uh, everybody get, everybody gets it. 
It's like, and when you kind of create an environment like that, I mean, I think that when, when, when Cheers started, I was 16, actually, I think it was like, you know, mm. whatever it was, or 15, it was, um, uh, it, it was about a bar in, 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 in Boston that did not exist. There weren't those bars yeah. that where yeah. everyone, it's more of an English pub, you know, where everybody yeah. kind of goes and it doesn't matter what class you're, you're in. Most Americans, most fancy Americans for the fancy side of Cheers would never have gone into a bar. That isn't something that they did. But the idea was like, well, but what if they did? And and is and if they did, they would bring in all of their their desires and their life ambitions, and that that would inform their conversation and their friendships and all those things, and uh, and it was really easy to get audiences to understand that because everybody has those things for themselves too. Um, so once you once you once you isolated, once you knew what it is this guy wants, it's easy to come not easy, but it's it's clear when you've hit the mark. When you've uh, and then when we wrote it, when we write the jokes that we would do it, we was we would pitch it out on the room most of it. I mean, there were some we'd go out and write a first draft and come back, but we'd also like do all the re we had big rewrites on everything, um, and you you knew when a line or a joke or a story change or fix that you pitched was right because the room would not only laugh. People would nod, and as if your other other writer colleagues were saying, "Yes, this sounds like an episode of Cheers that I would watch," and and it just had its own voice. So you kind of knew. And every now and then, you go to the stage with a with a scene or something, and it would be a little bit out of the range of what we had done before, or like just somewhat something slight different. And sometimes the cast would come and say, "This is so great, we love it," and sometimes they'd say, "We're having trouble." How do we make this work? And then sometimes we just would say, no, no, go ahead and do it. Try it. But often you just think, well, what, we'll go back and we'll tinker with it because it, it has to be some organic identity that Cheers had that we were all trying to serve. I'm not surprised to hear that uh, the writing group was so supportive because, as, as we all know, writers are so famously collegiate. And uh, <laughs> so it's nice, exactly yeah. this. There's very little... So nice very little, little uh, uh, knifing and so on in the... Um, in the uh... No pettiness in that. <laughs> no, 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 not of course at all. not. Well, but look, but we, but you—that's the thing about laughter, which is it's involuntary. Yeah, and so if you can get people to laugh, you, they can't now pretend that it isn't funny. Which is why most writers, the first thing they do in their career is train themselves never to laugh. So what we would get from a lot of writers is just the uh, oh that's funny, oh that's funny, but in the for some reason in the Cheers writers room, it was still important to laugh. If you weren't laughing. You were a jerk, and like you didn't want to be a jerk. One one of the greatest things about the show, uh, watching, and it's still obviously being replayed here as it is in the US often. One of the great things is how much credit the writers gave to the audience. Uh, I remember there there were references to people like Anais Nin and so on, and you'd <laughs> yeah. be like, did, did at any point you? Uh, I mean, what sort of jokes were thrown out because they might go over the heads of the audience? Did you ever do that? Was that ever a factor? Because it doesn't look like it was. No, it was no, we never did it. I mean, we thought like we, we, we thought well, if we think it's funny, it's funny, and and sometimes words are just funny. Aeneas yeah. Nin is just funny. It's just a funny thing. And if <laughs> if Kelsey Grammer says it, it's uh, I think I think yeah. I wrote a line for him once. He came in as a I think it was a Halloween episode, and he said, yeah. uh, and he came in dressed as somebody. He said, "Who are you?" He goes. Ah, um. Uh, uh, oh God! It's a famous pre-Raphaelite, Dante something Allegretti, Allegretti, something like. Yeah. He, and he said, "I'm Dante Allegretti, of course, the famous pre-Raphaelite." And uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I don't think America said, "Oh yes, of course." I think they said, "That's just some dude. I, that guy is so stuck up." But that's kind of how you would react if somebody said that to you. 
Um, it's a, so it kind of works. It, it actually goes back that that credit for knowledge on behalf of the audience. Uh, you also saw it as far back as the great uh, Warner Brothers the Looney Tunes cartoons oh, right, of the 40s right. and 50s because, I, you know, allegedly for kids, not at all, obviously, uh, but uh, there was one famous uh, scene where uh, I think um, Daffy Duck was the host of a, of a quiz show and <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, with, uh, with Porky Pig and uh, he, Porky was challenged to name this opera and then Daffy just played a single note <laughs> and, yeah, right. Um, right. and Porky right. just threw out whatever opera he knew and Daffy just turns and says, audience? And you hear everyone shout, Rigoletto! <laughs> it just, but it was that same assumed knowledge. Like, even if you've never heard yeah, right. of Rigoletto or Nasnin or, um, or Dante uh, Spaghetti, uh, you, were, um, you, you just know that it's, a, it's, a, it's such a foreign and, and peculiar concept. That's it as well that's what enough. makes it funny. Yeah, it's not just a enough. funny name, yeah. Well, they did. I mean, you know, uh, how many, like, there was at least two, or, what's Opera Doc was the greatest uh, Bugs Bunny, one of the greatest Bugs Bunny yes. cartoons. It's just a series of opera parodies, Barbara Seville and um, <laughs> the Bunny of Seville, I think. And then, uh, but what's Opera yeah. Doc had, uh, it was, uh, is Wagner. I think it was the, yes. was the ring cycle. Like, it was like, it was crazy. I think at the end, yeah. <laughs> but it Killed was just wabbit. unbelievably hilarious. And then if you look at, you know, the, the stripped down, uh, almost sort of existential kind of, um, I don't know what to be minimalist comedy of the Roadrunner, which I think the Roadrunner and 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 Wally Coyote yeah. is sort of such genius. When you really yep. look at it, you think, well, that that they took away everything except just the two intentions of the characters: one intention, hunger, and then yeah. I want to live. And then in the background, this crazy kind of uh, Monument Valley kind of uh, space age kind of space looking thing. Yeah. It's like they no, nothing except that, and then the, the, the faceless Acme Corporation. And that was it. Yes. And like, you could, if, if you're a genius, that's enough. You can just, I don't know how many episodes they did, an hour, at least two, three yeah. hours of great, great material. Rob, Rob uh, thanks for joining us. I, I will put in a big plug for Ricochet, which I have to say has become one of my must-listen podcasts. Oh, thank you. Podcasts. Thank you very much. Um, I mean, it's, it's neat because it, it, it will just give you in an hour a, a, a pretty good summary of, uh, of, you know, smart things to say about America when you're going <laughs> yeah, out he, to a dinner party. Exactly right. That is our goal. <laughs> yeah, right. And we, you might notice we, we we borrowed your format a little bit. You know, a, a couple of blokes cracking jokes, and then we get somebody sensible on like you to give it some 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 weight I, and cute. That is a proven model. Uh, it's not we didn't invent that either. If the, the, uh, if, when in doubt, steal. But the whole ricochet, um, the ricochet concept, of course, is much bigger than that podcast. Just quickly tell us about well, it. Well, so the ricochet started. My friend, my co-founder Peter Robinson, and I wanted to create a place on the web where people could have, um, you know, interesting conversations and debates and just share things, who are roughly from the same point of view. So not everything, not agree on everything, but just roughly have the same priors. Uh, and we had then the idea was that you we had a code of conduct, so you couldn't just turn it into a swamp like Twitter. You had to sort of like behave and little words you couldn't use and things. And so people signed up, and are, are, are we are a free market conservative, so we believe that if you pay a little money every month, a couple bucks, uh, to join a club, you're not going to trash the club because you're going to have skin in the game. You're going to feel ownership. And so far, that's worked. And then to get, make it bigger, we decided, well, we should just do this weird thing called podcasting, which we started you know, 500 episodes ago, 500 weeks ago, I guess is what it is, so a long time, um, and uh, added more podcasts to the, to, the, to the network. So there's the podcast for everybody, for every particular taste. Um, I mean, on the center right, put it that way, uh, and and that's kind of our goal. And I, I don't think we have. I mean, we we, we, we are are not um, you know getting rich, and we are 
we are by, by no means taking over the you world. You mean to say you can't get rich with podcasts? That's our dream shattered. That's our dream shattered. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Um, but we have five or six million you know, downloads a, a month uh, across the network, and um, mm. people seem to like it. They respond. It kind of re- is replacing audio programming for them. And, and, then if, and then we want our people, people who listen to really want to sort of get involved. Can jo- we want them to join, ricochet.com, uh, from wherever they are, including antipodean locales of uh, wherever um and uh, and and we'd like to make it more global because there, there's a bunch of people who can behave themselves in a debate or an argument who may disagree with each other and certainly disagree with me uh but we, we shouldn't be reading each other out of uh out of the uh you know the, the space this should you look at the if you could, we could do something the opposite of Twitter, that's what we want. You know, some where people and also people want to share their their own expertise. We have vast members who have incredible expertise in really weird, arcane things that don't seem that seem really very strange and exotic until something explodes in the world, and then suddenly we have an expert member who says, "Okay, well, here's how an oil tanker really works," and then you have this wonderful four paragraph precis of how an oil tanker really works, and that you can really use to show off at a dinner party. Trust me. <laughs> um, so that's kind of our goal, and um, so if any of your listeners want to join, go to rickshay.com and join. We'd love to have you. Well, it's it's mud season, so they they've got nothing else to do. <laughs> yeah, uh, they're exactly they're kind right. of trapped. Exactly. <laughs> maybe maybe when you're having your mud feast or your mud par- for your mud season presents, you can give each other the guest memberships. Hail mud! <laughs> Finally, I think we should just acknowledge the passing of uh, two great cricketers, Rob Marsh, age seventy four, and Shane Warne, who age fifty two. The news came into that just as I was about to press the button on last week's podcast and put it to air. Tim and I did ponder whether we should get on and do a special issue on edition on Shane Warne, but there's been plenty around. That was a, a tragedy, and then uh, and then only twenty four hours ago, the death of Senator Kimberly Kitchen, age fifty two. Uh, Tim, I wish we had have got her on the podcast. I was thinking about it once or twice. Exactly, you know, yeah, a, a mm. rare politician who had a sense of humour and uh, had friends on uh, both sides. It's, I know, uh, not sad. too many of those around. But anyway, uh, look, um, thank you for listening uh, to the six o'clock swill. You can. Not you can, you must, you must give us five stars on your podcast provider. That is, uh, and that is the condition of listening. We don't charge, but you do have to give us five stars. And uh, you can email us at our one and only email address, Nick at Radio dot com. Uh, any more housekeeping before we thank Rob, Tim? We- I just want to know uh, what it was like to work on the last sitcom with actual conservatives. Uh, you had uh, <laughs> yourself, John Ratzenberger. And Kirsty Alley, who might not have been a conservative mm. at the time, but uh, I don't think you're ever going to get a cast like that again, my friend. I don't know. The world is very, uh, the world is filled with surprises. You never know. Let's hope. Thanks, Rob, for joining us. It's been a great pleasure to have you. Thanks a lot. See you soon. Every American and LBJ is with Australia all the way. Australia is the best place in the world to bring up a family. But we will decide who comes to this country and the circumstances in which they come. I want to thank uh, that fellow down under. Thank you very much, pal. Appreciate it, Mr. Prime Minister. How good is Australia? (laughs) 